Jesus, we're so blessed to have you as our good shepherd, that in thin and in good times, you lead us to still waters and green pastures. I pray this morning that our hearts would sing of your beauty and sing of your goodness and sing of your work. That because you're so beautiful and so good, we'd want nothing other than to keep following you. So would you speak to us, I pray, and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. If you get hot, move. There's seats in the shade. To balance Psalm 23, when I prepared this message, it was Thursday when I kind of go get my main outline done. I just went on really quick to a news aggregator, and I grabbed the top headlines. So we have Psalm 23. You could wake up and read that, or you could wake up and read this. This was the news on Thursday morning. Bloomberg, Walmart's out-of-control crime problem is driving police crazy. I think there are other things about Walmart that drive people crazy, like all the zombies there. They're there. New York Post, Ryan Lockie is everything the world hates about Americans. Oh, he's getting beat up. This one out of Pennsylvania, woman stabbed husband for drinking her beer. You see that? I'm like, now Grant's past feels normal. I like that. (laughs) LA Times, the aging paradox. The older we get, the happier we are. It's because we're losing our minds. (laughs) Fox, second case of Zika outside of transmission zone. Mm. This one from uh, England. The flying bum crashes after second test flight. If you saw that, it's kind of funny. NPR, saving lives or selling access, explaining the Clinton Foundation. Ooh. Then they get sad. Italy earthquake death toll past 240. Cabal siege, 12 killed in an attack on American university. Psalm 23, I'd say that is beautiful. The morning news, not so beautiful. It's crazy, right? Well, we're in a section in Matthew, Matthew 24. You can turn there. We've been working through the gospel of Matthew, looking a little bit at it on Sunday, diving in in depth on Wednesday, And right now we're in Matthew 24. And if you know your Bible, if you have a a Bible in red, where Jesus's words are in red, it's a lot of red right here. And what you have in Matthew 24 is the last days according to Jesus. Really, really important chapter. If you kind of want to know where we're heading in life and what things are going to look like, you might want to know what Jesus has to say about the last days. And that's Matthew 24. So, If you're new here, let me grab kind of what leads up to Matthew 24. Jesus in Matthew 21 presents himself as the king to Israel. So he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, I don't care how tough you are, you get on a donkey, you look ridiculous. There's a reason for that. When a king was coming into a city proclaiming peace, he would come in on a donkey. If he was proclaiming war, 
he'd ride a horse. So what Jesus was saying was this, I am coming to present to you a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom built not on get even with your enemy, but a kingdom built on love your enemy, a kingdom built not on if you poke my out, I out, I'll poke your out, but a kingdom built on I'll turn the other cheek. So Jesus, the king of peace, comes and he presents himself as the king of a whole new kingdom. And when he goes into Jerusalem, after he presents himself and it's orchestrated, in fact, the very day is orchestrated that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It was the day of their visitation. It was prophetically told, this is the day. So Jesus says, I'm your king. The first thing he does is he marches into the temple and he says, this is my house and I'm remodeling it. And he remodels it with a whip and kicks out a bunch of dudes that were really putting barriers in the place of people getting to God. And then he sits down and it says he began to heal and bless and touch. And he says, this place is to be a house of prayer. So what Jesus immediately does is he changes the whole trajectory of the temple. You guys have made it something it's not supposed to be. The kingdom is about healing and love and helping. And so I'm going to demonstrate that day number one. So that's chapter 21. So do they accept Jesus? Well, chapter 22 is the interrogation. The powers that be, the high priest, all these people, they come to Jesus and they start firing these questions at him about eternity, about where he gets his power, about over and over. It's just an interrogation. Okay, if you're king, then tell us why you should be king. At the end of it, Jesus says this. It's a great little thing. He says, I am the son of David, God incarnate, and I'm the answer. Well, they refuse. So chapter 23 is this warning with a bunch of woes. Woe, 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 woe. And then we get to chapter 24. And here's what chapter 24 is. They've refused the king of peace. They've refused the new kingdom. So chapter 24 is because you refuse the king and his kingdom of peace, you get the only alternative. And guess what that is? War and destruction. You don't want my kingdom, the kingdom of peace, a kingdom of turning the other cheek, a kingdom of blessing those that persecute you because you don't want this kingdom. The only alternative kingdom is the kingdom of the enemy, which is war and destruction and hard stuff. Okay, so let me read a couple verses for you. Matthew 24, verse one. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Destruction's coming. And then he explains it more, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight be not on, in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. You refuse the king of peace. You rejected him, and you get a different kingdom. 
the kingdom of war. And Wednesday night, we'll look at the nitty gritty of this because there's a million ways people interpret the end times according to Jesus. It just goes all over the place. Typically, what you hear is this today. It's finding America in the 21st century in Matthew 24, right? So people grab these and it talks about false Christ and antichrist. And so what typically happens is somebody gets this and they're like, they start pointing fingers about who is the antichrist, right? And who do we always point at? The president or the presidential candidates, right? Hillary's the antichrist. Trump's the antichrist. That is offensive to the antichrist. (laughs) He's so much worse. He's like, what? They got nothing on me. (laughs) Well, that's not the point of this chapter. There's, there's, and we'll talk a lot more about all those things, but there is a purpose to prophetic, or you can call it apocalyptic literature. And the purpose is not any of those things. The purpose is not looking at Revelation 9 and trying to figure out, are the demon things Sikorsky helicopters? That's not the purpose of these texts. It gets really nutty like that. The purpose in these prophetic apocalyptic texts are this. It's to give us hope in the middle of tribulation. If you look at verse 15, Jesus says, hey, let the reader understand. Know this, readers. Who's going to be reading the gospel of Matthew? Believers. Know this, believers. Understand this. Here's a warning for you. Here, let me help you, right? These other people's decision, chapter 21 and chapter 22, to reject me, it will affect you. War is going to come on you too. Tribulation is going to come to you. Now you could say, well, that's so unfair. Their decision caused believers to suffer. Oh my goodness. Isn't that the way life is? In a couple months, on November, whatever the Tuesday is then, about 100 million Americans will decide who's going to run our country for four years. That's not a majority. It's less than a majority, all right? And that decision will affect you and me. How about in our little corner of the world? The decision a year ago to legalize marijuana, has that affected your life? Has that changed Grant's past? Right? Now, probably the majority of people in Josephine County said no, but the majority in Portland said yes. So their decision affects you and me. That's just life, right? Perhaps your marriage, your spouse is making decisions that you don't agree with. Does that affect your life? Perhaps your, your boss, your work, right? You might feel like your work is the great tribulation and your boss is the antichrist. His decisions affect you. That's just life. Maybe the bank loaning system of 10 years ago caused trouble for you and you're, you went bankrupt and now you can't buy a house and you can't find a rental in Grant's Pass. That's life. Jesus is just saying, there's life. Other people's decisions to reject me They're going to come down and they're going to affect you. So here's what he's going to say in this chapter. I'm the good shepherd of Psalm 23. I'll help you get through this. Let the reader take note. Let the reader understand some things. So all I want to do this morning is try to share with you some of the good shepherd's advice to you and me when we go through tribulation because you're going to have it. Other people's decisions, your own poor decisions, this world that we live in, the enemy that we have causes tribulation. So how do we then walk through them well? And this chapter tells us how to do that. So I got a number of points. I'll see how hot it gets. 
and I'll decide how many I'm going to get through. (laughs) Point number one is this. It's how Jesus begins. Look at verse four. They ask him a question and real important to get what this question is. Wednesday, we'll talk about it. If you don't understand the question, you'll never understand the answer. So they ask him a question and immediately he says this. It's verse four. And Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. Number one, when you go to the valley of the shadow of death, when you have great tribulations, when you have darkness, what do you need? You need a map. This book right here, or the app on your phone, or whatever it is, this is your map. And very often, here's what I found. I see my path through the people I read about in Scripture. Because very often what I'm going through is not unique to me. There's usually somebody in the Bible who has gone through the exact same thing that I can learn from and I can find a map for it. So Abraham, in an impossible situation, 99 years old, no kids. His wife's 90. It's impossible. And yet he believed God. And God did the impossible with him. How about Joseph? Betrayed by his 10 brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, forgotten there. Ever felt like that? And yet he would say this, what you meant for evil, God has turned to good for the saving of many lives. That God can take very, very bad things people have done to us. And he is great enough and strong enough to actually turn them for good in my life and in your life. How about Esther? For such a time as this, everything I've been through, being an orphan, being raised in a foreign country, for such a time as this, it's all gone into this moment that God has for me. How about Ruth? Handfuls of purpose. How about David, the overlooked son who becomes the favorite king? I just find in God's word that there is this path and it's beautiful. So listen to these verses. I'll read a couple to you. Jeremiah 6.19 says this, 6.16. It's one of my favorite little texts. It says this, thus says Yahweh, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6, 16, God says, hey, ask for the ancient ways. Start knowing the ancient ways. Walk in these ways, the good way, and find rest for your soul. How about Romans 4, 12? It says this. It's about Abraham, the father of faith. And this is what it says. that God made him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Hebrews 4.12 says the same thing. 6.12, excuse me, says the same thing. Learn from those that walk before. If you're going to learn from Abraham, and if you're going to learn from Joseph, and if you're going to learn the ancient past, guess what you have to do? You have to immerse yourself in the narrative of this book. This is the map. 
This is where we find understanding. And we see very often, ah, oh, Jesus went through that. David went through that. Abraham went through that. Ah, oh, I get understanding. Number one, number one, if you're not going to be led astray, you got to have a map. And this is the map to me. You're either going to be led by the headlines <laughs> that make you freak out, or you're going to be led by the heroes, and I know this is going to be a little cheesy, that allow you to faith out. It's one or the other. I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to read the headlines and freak out, or I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to ask for the ancient paths, and I'm going to have faith that helps me out. It's really one or the other. You want to do well, number one, you've got to have a map. But there's number two. It's verse 13. It says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a ton of different maps out there for us. There's a ton of different people telling you and me, here's the way to walk life. Here's the ancient past. Here's the right past. Here's today's past. You got to have a map, number one, but number two, you got to know this. This is the right map. If you're going to endure to the end, you have to know this is the right map. And if you look throughout the Bible, here's what you find over and over. A lot of people did not endure to the end. They didn't finish well. Noah, 600 years strong. The last scene we get of Noah is, guess what? He's drunk at 600 years of age and naked in his tent. It's a terrible word picture, but it's the Bible. It does it to you. What happened to him? At the end, he failed. David, for 50 years, he is brilliant. But then adultery, lying, and murder. And the last picture we get of David, he's in a bed. He can't even keep himself warm at night. Burnout, old man. You can go on and on. Solomon, man, starts out brilliant, asks God for wisdom, and God says, I love that. Because you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you long life and lots of riches. Good choice. But what happened to Solomon? Oh, he had a thing for the ladies, thousand of them, and then idolatry. And he ends up leaving a crumbling empire to a fool of a son. See, the sad thing is, not a lot of people endure until the end. And I always ask, like, why is that? Why don't people endure to the end? What happens? I think, for me, and I always think about the church, I think the church makes a mistake sometimes. And here's the mistake. We sell people snake oil. So we say to people, hey, believe in Jesus and your wildest dreams will come true. Is that right? Was Jesus' wildest dreams coming true when he hung on a cross for you and me? No. In fact, we'll look at Matthew 26, where Jesus goes through the most agonizing time in his life. Was David's wildest dreams coming true when he had his head parted from his body on the Appian Way? No. How about Peter when he was crucified upside down? See, we sometimes sell snake oil, right? It's not right. And I think the way the church propagates it is this. We love to parade up here what I call the miracle testimony guy. You ever heard him? He's the guy that gets up and he's like, listen, from the time I was 12 until I was 30, I drank a case of beer a day. I smoked anything that would burn. I slept around all the time, but two years ago today, I gave my life to Jesus and I have not struggled since. Every morning I wake up, I read my Bible and pray for three hours. Jesus appears in my room. He tells me what to do. I fail not in perfect obedience to him. And when he gets done, 
Wings come out and he just like flies back to his seat. We're like, oh, yeah. Man, that's rare if ever. If ever. Most people, that does not happen. Most people, this thing called sanctification is a walk that takes effort and time and it sometimes is a valley of shadow of death. It's hard and difficult. Listen to me very carefully. I'm not a Christian because it's cool. I'm not a Christian because it's comfortable. I'm not a Christian because it's easy. I'm not a Christian because I chased some girl into the church and ended up staying. I'm a Christian because it's true, period. It is the right map. That's it. And until you make that choice in life, every other map will tempt you. Every other map will tempt you. Oh, what about that way? You got to know this is the right map. You got to know it. Or else, church becomes uncomfortable. Christianity, that's kind of embarrassing. You know, I got to tell people I follow Jesus and Jesus is the only way and that's just not very culturally, you know, accepted today. That's what's going to happen to you until you decide this is the right map. Let me give you two illustrations of how this goes south. So there's this historian I like, his name is Gibbon. And he writes about Rome and how Rome fell. And he said, here's what happened to Rome. Rome, just, just the most dominant empire in history. Rome, though, toward the end, what happened with the soldiers was this. They started complaining about the, all the armor. I mean, this armor is heavy. Do I have to wear it all the time? Like, you don't have any enemies. I'm out here guarding this gate. I've got this helmet on, this breastplate on. I've got this sword and this spear, and it's just heavy. Do I have to carry it anymore? So they started laxing on it. Yeah, okay, take your helmet off. Okay, sure, you don't have to carry your sword all the time. Okay, fine, take off your breastplate. Well, guess what happened? When they got attacked, they didn't have time to put on their armor, and they got worked. That's what happened. When the Mongols came down and the hordes came down from Germany and just crushed them, they didn't have time to get suited up. What'd they forget? They forgot they were soldiers in a war. They forgot the truth of what they were doing. And when they did, they got worked. And that happens to Christians all the time. Here's one from me. So four years ago at family camp, I like to go fishing and I go out in a little inflatable Tahiti. And it's really fun when you get over the near constant fear of dying. But that kind of makes it fun too. So, so I'm headed out, and the night before, I'd noticed there's holes in my Tahiti. So I went and got a patch kit at Walmart, of all places, because it's the only place open, and I patched it, and it wasn't really a right patch kit, but I thought it would work. So I go out, as I'm heading out, as a last-minute thing, I grabbed a life jacket. And the reason why is because in the Tahiti, there's not a lot of room. So I've got this, like, fish box, and I've got my tackle, and you've got your fishing rod, you've got your paddle. There's not a lot of room for a life jacket. But I thought, no, I better take that. So I take a life jacket, and I go out, and I'd gone out a long ways. I was about you know, a good 30-minute paddle back in just at this one spot where I thought I would catch fish. And I kept struggling with the life jacket. I couldn't wear it because it was kind of bulky. So I'm trying to put it somewhere. It's in my way. I'd hit it with my paddle. The fish was getting snagged on it. I'm just like, oh, why did I bring this thing? Until it like almost at the same moment, all the patches fell off my Tahiti. <laughs> Do you know what I was really glad to have at that point? A life jacket. Even though it was uncomfortable and inconvenient, I was glad to have it. It was the right thing to have. Listen, Christianity will be inconvenient. Christianity will be hard. Christianity will be difficult. We are going against the flow of this world. And if you want it to be easy and convenient and everyone think you're cool because you're a Christian, man, you signed up for the wrong thing. We're Christians because it's right. That's why we're Christians. This is the right map. 
When you get that down, it doesn't matter how inconvenient things are. You just know this is the right map. That's how you endure to the end. This is the right map. Number three, verse 20. And I love this little prayer. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. I just see the heart of God there. The heart of Jesus. Number three is this. You have to believe in the map maker. What's Jesus saying right there? Pray it's easier, right? Don't be weird. Don't be ascetic. Don't be like, hey, I want to flagellate myself. Pray that it's easier. It's okay to ask Jesus, hey, this is really tough. Could it be easier? You got to believe in the map maker. I'll give you my illustration of this. So uh, myself and a couple other dads, we've been hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And they have these maps that you take. And what I found is the maps are really good. So the first time we went, we went up and you're on the Pacific Crest. That means this, you're on this, the, the high point that goes from all the way from Mexico to Canada. Well, you, when you're on the peak of a mountain, what is there not? Water. So water is like, you live for water. So this map, what it'll have, it'll have like WA1753. And then it'll tell you about water. So the very first place we stopped for water, when we started three years ago, it was WA1753, and it said piped spring. So we've got to hike down this little trail, and we get there. There's no running water. There's just this black poly piece of tubing, and in order to get water out of it, you've got to shove another little tube into it and pump it out. The only problem with the water in that tube was this. A frog had crawled in there and croaked. Yes. So it was frog water. Justin Buchanan said, I refuse to drink that. I'll be dehydrated and die if necessary. So th that was that first place. So, so we keep walking. And the next place was, it was along a road. And if it's really dry, it's really dry that year. If it's really dry, the rangers will set out water. So on the map, it said, uh, rangers will set out water. So we get there and Ranger Rick, his name is Ranger Rick. It's so awesome. Ranger Rick set for us water and there's water out there. And we're like, oh, good water. So we start filling up our containers and everything. And then we started to drink it. And we went, what is wrong with this water? And we looked at the containers, and they were repurposed Tidy Cat Ocean Breeze containers. You don't get rid of that flavor. So we are drinking like cat litter for the next 20 miles, right? <laughs> yeah. Here's what I found, though, now. In 132 miles, I found this. That map is so good. I believe the map now. And it's really important. Sometimes I don't like the map. It'll be like 20 miles of the next water, which means I'm carrying a ton of water. But guess what? I believe in the map. I believe it. You have to believe that the map maker, God, is a good and generous God. I am convinced that the big story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God saying, I want a group of people around me that know I am good and generous. They believe in me. That they'll pray, hey, make it easier because I'm that kind of God. Do you believe that God is both good and and generous. If you do not, your theology and your life and the way that you read the map gets all flipped out. You got to believe in the map maker. Okay. I've got more points. I'll do one more. You got to believe in me. I love you too. I don't want you suffering in tribulation in the sun. One more. You can read if you want to. 44 through 46. Um, it gives you more instruction, but I'll do the one. It's verse 42. Look at this. Therefore, stay awake. 
I like that for my last point. <laughs> for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You got to, number four, keep following the map. That's what he's saying. You just got to keep following this map. It's the map. It's the right map. You got to believe the map maker is a good map maker. And then you just got to keep following it. That's the Christian life. I'm going to keep following this map. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, how do I do that? So Pacific Crest Trail, back to it. We just did three weeks ago, a 50 miler. And on Saturday morning, I woke up with my son, Elijah. And this has been real fun with Elijah. We started three years ago when he was six. We did a 32 miler in three days. I carried all the stuff. And then I carried Elijah for the last five miles, right? Because he's six. It was like, okay. Um, Last year, he's seven. Um, We did a 50 miler in three days. And I didn't have to carry him, but I carried most of the stuff. This year, he's eight. We did a 50 miler in three days. He carried most of his stuff and I never had to carry him. Next year, my plan is for him to carry me. That's where we're going. Dude, I'm, gonna, I'm getting some payback here. All right, so, so he's developed. He's just getting stronger. It's just real fun to see. So um, on Saturday morning, it was our last day. We had 18 miles to go. And I said, Elijah, it was 6.30. We had got up at 5.30. We packed everything. We were ready. And so I said, Elijah, let's set our goal. What do we want to do this morning before we take a break? How long do we want to hike for? And so we talked for a bit. And and he said, let's hike from 6.30 a.m. till 9.30 a.m., three hours. Because we can do about three miles per hour. So we do nine miles. We do half our day by 9.30. I said, that's great. And this is what I told him. And this is what became our theme. We, we kept repeating it back to each other. I said this, Lige, we set our goal when we're strong so that when we get weak, it will carry us on. We set our goal when we're strong. It's 6.30 in the morning. It's nice. We're feeling good. We just ate breakfast. It's awesome. So we're setting our goal now, not when we're weak. We're setting it now so that that goal will carry us on when we get weak because we'll all get weak. So here's what happened. We start hiking. 7.30, Elijah looks at me and goes, Dad, I'm tired. Can we please have a break? And what I say? Buddy, remember when we were strong an hour ago and we set our goal? Now that we're weak, we trust in the goal to keep us going. Okay, okay, Dad. So we walk. 8 o'clock, he goes, Dad, can we stop at 9 o'clock instead of 9.30? And what I say to him? Buddy, when we were strong, we set our goal. So that in this moment, because we knew it was coming, we knew weakness would come, it Keeps us going. Okay. So we hiked three hours, made nine miles by 9.30 on Saturday, when most nine-year-olds or eight-year-olds aren't even awake in the morning. Now, what carried us through? We set a goal. We set a goal. Man, that's self-esteem. That's new age junk. No, it's not. Jesus does it. Because Jesus, the Bible tells us, he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Because the greatest weakness in his entire time on earth was coming. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's my favorite text where he despaired even of life. That's how tough it was. He knew this point is coming. There's going to be coming weakness. I'm setting my goal now. I'm setting it now. If you want to stay awake and endure through this thing, you set goals. Now I'm going to be doing this. It might be inconvenient. It might be hard. It does not matter. 
I'm sticking with this. I'm going to be in fellowship. I'm going to be reading my word. I'm going to be going to church. I'm going to be serving in some capacity. I'm going to be around people. Whatever it is, you set goals because there's weakness coming. And you come back to your goal and you say, that keeps me going. Okay? And there's a real important reason why. There's a reason why we do all this. While we follow the map, even through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what it is? I'll read it for you. Look at verse 31. I'll go back to 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It's our destination. The end result of this map is out of this world. Just like Psalm 23, green pastures and still waters, the end result of where we're headed is out of this world. Our destination is so good. So last year when we were doing the Pacific Crest Trail, it was during that really hot spell. We did this thing called Lucifer's Ridge up to Devil's Peak. I mean, just brutal. I mean, just, it just, everything about it was brutal. I got a little sick. When we got out, we did this 20-mile run. Emily Buchanan came and picked us up. We're hot, just tired. And in the back of her Suburban, she had this ice chest full of Gatorade. It was the best Gatorade I've ever had. Oh, my goodness. So now it's a have to. When we end, there has to be an ice chest full of Gatorade. So as Lige and I were walking along on that last day, and there's nine miles left and eight miles left, I kept saying, Lige, there's ice cold Gatorade waiting for us. And his step would pick up. <laughs> All right, yeah, right? Listen, listen, there's ice cold Gatorade waiting for us. There is something out of this world. I don't know if you guys know Peter John Corson, but I've known him quite a while. And maybe you heard what happened to him about two weeks ago. He got real sick, went to the hospital. Um, his Crohn's disease flared up, just, just bad stuff. But he had a near-death experience. And he said, it's so worth it. What I experienced up there is so worth it. Whatever I go through, and his intestines literally came out of himself. He goes, that, that's nothing in comparison with the destination I am headed to. I can endure anything now. If we could only glimpse that like him, we would say like Paul, who the same thing probably happened to. These light afflictions are but for a moment, but they're working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If we only knew that, the destination is so good. One day the trumpet will call. One day all that is evil and all that is wrong will be wrapped up by King Jesus and thrown into a lake of fire and you and I will serve our king, ruling and reigning with him for eternity and everything down here will seem like a simple nightmare. That's where we're headed. Turn to the person next to you and just say, it's worth it. That's what Jesus is trying to do here in Matthew 24. He's not trying to tell us about Sikorsky helicopters. He's trying to say, here's how you make it through. Here's how you make it through. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're going through tribulation. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm overwhelmed by this thing. Maybe you're not sure about the rightness of the map. Maybe you just need prayer. Well, right over here, we'll have people that would love to pray for you. We'll have leaders, Titus 2 gals, because sometimes we just need prayer. Praying, verse 20, that it's easier. <laughs> God, I just want this to be easier. It's tough. I'm overwhelmed. Pray. We'd love to pray for you.
Maybe it's physical, like Peter John. And maybe you need prayer for healing. James says we can do that. We can pray for people and they can be healed. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you're not sure that this thing is right and you've been going in different directions and you've been trying different maps and today you know, I need to get back on the right map. The Bible makes it so easy. It's the book of Acts. Over and over the book of Acts, the acts of the church, which tell us how the church is supposed to work. Over and over it says this, repent and be baptized. And so we offer that to you. Repent means change your mind. I've been following the wrong map and it's really bad. I want to get on the right map. I'm going to repent from that old map. I'm going to be baptized, signifying my first obedience to my new king. So you come up and be baptized. So if you need prayer right here, you can be baptized right here. If you're doing well, praise God. Remember Matthew 24, that this is the map. It's the right map. It was written by a really, really good map guy. And you and I need to be those that just keep following it. That's the Christian life. We just keep following it. So Father, I thank you for Jesus. The more I learn and the more I know your son, the more beautiful he becomes to me. The more I'm impressed by him, the more his care just shines through, even in difficulty. He's thinking about nursing moms. He's thinking about Sabbath day problems. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would see Jesus as beautiful. And we would know that our destination is to be so good because we'll be with him. We'll be with him, ruling, reigning, walking, talking. That's the destination. So fill us with hope this day, I pray. No matter what tribulation we're in, fill us with hope. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.